Heavenly Father, it is such a blessing to have you speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that we may be servants of you, willing to listen as we hear your voice this morning. Lord, we pray that you may bless the reading and the preaching of your word. We pray that you may be with me. May I speak what is true and accurate. And may I be able to give rebuke and encouragement here this morning to continue doing what you would have us do. May we be able to go from here this morning and live lives that are all the more pleasing as a direct result of reading and hearing your voice and hearing your word preached. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who is the head of a family? Who is the head of a family? I think Joshua is still trying to figure this one out. Whenever I tell him off, he utters one word, mummy. (laughs) And if I continue to tell him off, he will continue to utter that word. At the end of every sentence, I say to him, he will say, mummy. And then if Jill tells him off, he utters one word to her, daddy. And as she continues to tell him off, he will say, daddy. He's still trying to work out who is the highest authority in the house. Who can he appeal to when he's in trouble to get him off the hook? Who is the real boss in the household? He's worked out it's either mummy or daddy. He's just a little confused as to which is the higher authority in the home. Heads of families are important. But how important? How do they influence us? Are they any influence to us? Is the head of a family someone that we should look to and respect? Are they someone that can be quite helpful to us? That's what I want to look at this morning, is the subject of the heads of families. And my first main point this morning is that family heads are a great influence. You can see my main points on the back of the church bulletin if you want to follow along. Family heads are a great influence. Firstly, though... Why do we need an influence? Why do we need to have a good influence? Why do we need heads of families to be an influence towards us? Well, we need to be influenced because we need to be encouraged to do what is right. We have this tendency to do what is wrong, and so we need influences around us to encourage us to do what is right rather than do what is wrong. And we see this in the time of Ezra. We see that the Israelites here need a positive influence to do what is right. What is it they need to do? Well, they should be returning to the land of Israel. They should be going from exile in Babylon to the land of Israel. Um, I've given a little bit of a history lesson each time I preach from Ezra, and I'll do that again this morning. How did the Israelites end up in Babylon? Well, of course, it was because they were sinful in the promised land after the reign of David. There were a number of kings. There was a split after uh, Solomon, and split into two uh, kingdoms. And then, of course, we had sinful kings again and again until God said, that's enough, you're going into exile to Babylon. And there in Babylon, they stayed until they had a king say, you can return to the land. And the Israelites should have wanted to go back to the land. They should have hated being in exile and wanted to return the land return to the land why is that why should they be eager to go back to the promised land well the promised land the land of Canaan is part of the threefold promises that god gave to abraham god spoke to the israelites father father abraham 
and promised him three things, that I would give you offspring, so many that they would outnumber the stars, and I will give you blessing and I would give you land. He would give him land. And what was that land? The land of Canaan. And so the Israelites should be all the more eager to go back to the promised land as they reflect on what God has promised their father Abraham. It's their inheritance, their godly inheritance from God, the land of Canaan. And now here, the king, King Artaxerxes at this time, is saying, you can go back. And so the Israelites should be like, yay, let's go. This is part of the promise that God has given to Abraham being fulfilled. And also the second reason why they should be so anxious to go back is because the land is where they're actually able to offer sacrifices for their sins. The Israelites were told you must make sacrifices, you must make atonement for your sin. But you cannot just make an altar wherever you choose and slaughter a cow on it. You need to do it in the place I choose, God says. And where was the place that God chose? In the land of Canaan, in Jerusalem, at God's temple. That is the place where sacrifices can be offered. If you offer them anywhere else, you are disobeying God. And so that means while the Israelites have been in exile in Babylon, they haven't been able to atone for their sins. They haven't been able to offer those sacrifices that they need to offer because they're still sinning in the land of Babylon. While they're in exile, it's not as though they're sin-free. No, they're still sinning, so they need to offer those sacrifices. And so the Israelites, when they're given that free pass to go back, they should be eager to go. They should be all champing at the bit, wanting to return to that promised land. But the Israelites don't want to return. Many of them want to stay in exile. They want to stay in the land of Babylon. Why is that? Well, because they're sinful. They are still sinning there in the land, and one of their sins is that they don't want to go back and do what they should do in offering sacrifices. They're sinfully indifferent to the need to make atonement for their sins. And they're also sinfully content with their lives in Babylon. Many of the Jews prospered in Babylon materially. They lived lives of great luxury. They were able to get their own homes, start their own businesses, and able to amass possessions to themselves. And they know to go back to the promised land is to leave a lot of that behind. They'll have to leave those homes that they've got. They'll have to leave family members behind. And they'll have to make a hard trek back to the land of Israel. Getting to the land of Israel is not easy. There's a big whopping desert there that they have to get around. It's going to be a hard, long trek. And they're going to have to leave their luxurious homes and make a trek back, a hard trek to a land where they don't have those homes waiting for them, the same setup when they get back. They're going to have to start again. They might have some support going back with them, but they're going to have to do a lot of hard work. And so these Israelites are sinfully indifferent to this promised land that has been returned to them by King Artaxerxes' heart being moved by God to let them return. So how does Ezra get these sinful Israelites to go back to the promised land? How does he encourage them? How does he influence them to return? Well, he goes after the family heads. And we see that in the verse that we actually read last week in chapter 7, the last verse of chapter 7 in verse 28. If you've got a black church Bible, it's page 468. The last sentence of verse... 
uh, of chapter 7 says, Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And then in verse 1 of chapter 8, These are the family heads and those registered with them who came up with me from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. Now, the NIV translation of verse 28 where it says leading men, it's... Uh, it's odd that they would do that because they've translated the word head in Hebrew in verse 8 as head, but they've decided to translate it as leading there, even though it's the exact same word in the Hebrew. What he's done in verse 28 is he's, Ezra's got these heads of families. He's gathered them together and encouraged them to come back to the land and bring their families with them. He's recognized the influence of family heads on people doing what is right. But is there actually an influence? Do family heads have much influence on future generations? Is Ezra barking up the wrong tree when he goes after these family heads here? Well, we see that there's evidence even in this text that family heads have a great influence on future generations. We see that by who is listed to go back in chapter 8, verses 1 through to 14, who is listed there, which families are listed, by, and we can see in that list evidence that family heads have a profound influence on future generations. Who is listed? Well, firstly, in verse 2, we see the descendants of Phineas. Uh, there's a descendant of Phineas listed, Gershom. He's listed there. Now, who is Phineas? Phineas was that great priest. He was actually a son of uh, Eleazar, Aaron's third son. He was a priest. And he was commended by God for what he did in a particular incident in Numbers where he really stood up for God's glory. And it was said that his future generations would be blessed because of his righteous behavior. And so we see here the godliness of Phineas and, of course, Phineas's dad, Eleazar, and Eleazar's dad, Aaron. Those godly men, even though they died so long ago, they're still having a profound influence even here centuries later. As these people who are in exile are going back to Babylon, we see a descendant, Gershom, there listed. So we have a one priest's family going back. And then in verse 2, it says also of the descendants of Ethamar, Daniel. Now, who is Ethamar? Well, he was Aaron's fourth son. He was another priest. So we have two priestly families listed here. These priestly priests in the past are having a profound influence on the future by this guy, Daniel, coming back as well. And then we also see who's listed next in verse 2 of the descendants of David, Hattush. David, who's David? Well, it's King David. King David and his godliness in the past where he was a man after God's own heart has influenced future generations right down to this guy, Hattush. Here he is. He has been influenced and he is going back to the promised land as a result of the faithfulness of David. So we have priests and we have someone from the kingly line as well here listed in verse 2 who have had a profound influence, uh, have had profound influence from their previous ancestors. And then we have a whole bunch of laymen. And it's a case of, well, why are these guys all mentioned here? Who are these people that are listed uh, from verse uh, 3 through to verse 14? How do these guys show the influence of family heads? Like in verse 3, we see Parosh, and then we see in verse 4, Pahath Moab. We see um, in verse 5, Zatu, of the sense of Zatu, and it keeps going on and on and on. 
How are these people actually helpful for us? Were these family heads in the past faithful men? And have they influenced these people that are coming here today in the land, uh, coming back to the land of Canaan? Well, it's quite interesting. Every single one of these uh, listed family heads here is actually mentioned back in chapter 2 of Ezra in the first wave of Israelites to return. These family heads here listed in chapter 8, these are further descendants of those guys that came back in the first wave under Zerubbabel. So we see the faithfulness of family heads in the past coming back to the promised land. And now in the second wave, as they've been granted permission by Artaxerxes, firstly they were granted permission by Cyrus, now Artaxerxes has said you can go back to the same families are returning. That faithfulness of their ancestors in the past, going, and we're about probably 70 years on from that first wave, the faithfulness of them in the past has influenced these generations here that they want to go back. And if you've got time this afternoon, you may want to look that up. Look up every single name that's listed here in chapter 8 and see if it matches with a name back in chapter 2, in that long list of names that we have there in chapter 2 of Ezra. So we see the faithfulness of ancestors in the past to God influencing future generations, that their descendants are faithful and want to follow God just like they did. And it's so great, in one family's case, that no one is left behind. Did you notice that in verse 13? There's something very unusual in verse 13 in comparison to the other families that are listed. What does it say in verse 13? It says, Of the descendants of Adonikam, the last ones, whose names were Eliphalet, Jeul, and Shemamiah, and with them... 60 men. What happened with Adonikam's family? His influence was so great that no one from his family stayed behind in Babylon. The last ones, all of them came back. His whole family as a great testimony to Adonikam's faithfulness to God. All of them returned. None of his descendants stayed in Babylon. They all returned to the land of Canaan. So is there a lesson for us today in we seeing the faithfulness of family heads and their influence on future generations? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Human family heads are still a great influence. Human family heads are still a great influence. There is still a strong unwillingness in people to do what God says and go to the promised land. What is the promised land? Are we all supposed to be heading over to Jerusalem? No, but there is a promised land. What is that land? It is heaven. There is a place that we can go to that will be a wonderful place, God's kingdom. But there is a strong unwillingness of people to go. It's amazing that you can go out on the street and talk to a whole bunch of people and they are unwilling to do what God has asked of them to go to heaven. Heaven is available to them, but they are unwilling to go. Why is that? Well, similar reasons that the Israelites didn't want to go back to the promised land when they were given the possibility of doing so while they're in the land of Babylon. What was their, what was their problem? Well, there was an indifference to God's promise, indifference to that promise given to Abraham. They weren't wanting to go back because they knew 
that they also would experience pain in going back, just like the Israelites didn't want to go back to the promised land because they'd have to leave their luxury behind. Why do not people want to be Christians and go to heaven? Because they realize that they will suffer for it. That particularly they will have to give up lordship of their own lives and pass that lordship over to someone else. That they will not be able to satisfy their sinful desires all the time, but instead they'll be satisfying God's desires instead. And people just don't want to do that. You can hold out heaven to them, but as soon as they understand that that means they have to put someone else's lord as their life, they don't want to do it. As soon as it means that they can't worship the God of materialism anymore, they don't want to do it, just like those Israelites were worshipping the God of materialism back in the land of Babylon and not wanting to make that trek. So it is with people today. And they're indifferent about the fact that it means that they may have to be persecuted. They think about that and they see that Christians get a hard time, that people hate Christians. And so they don't want to go to the promised land. They don't want to go to heaven because they know that they will be persecuted often for doing it. So what is part of the answer of how to get people to go to heaven? We want people to go to heaven. It grieves us to consider that other people are not going to heaven. Instead, they're going to hell when they could go to heaven. What is part of the answer? Well, God tells us part of that answer is making the most of family heads. Making the most of the family heads of individuals. They still have a profound influence today. Family heads today can still influence generations of people of whether they go to the promised land of heaven. So who are the family heads today? People get confused, particularly in our culture, um, where there's a feminist agenda. Who is the family head? Well, the Bible tells us that husbands and fathers are family heads. And we see that in parts of Scripture, including the Scripture that we just read from 1 Corinthians 11, our second Bible reading this morning. We see that Husbands are the heads of wives. He says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Husbands, men, are the heads of their wives. Now it sounds controversial to say, but that's what the scripture says. And that then means that fathers are also the heads of their children. The divine order goes father, mother, child, and then pet, if you want to add a pet to your household. That is the divine order. And you see that divine order being usurped quite clearly where? In the very beginning in Genesis. How does it go? The snake, the pet, comes along, deceives the woman, who then leads the men to sin. And so it goes in reverse order. It should be God, man, woman, child and pet down the bottom. We see it being reversed. But that is the divine order. And so men, husbands, fathers have a profound responsibility. They have an influence on the next generation by their actions, whether good or evil. You see that it works both ways. It's not just it works in good ways. And that if you have a really bad dad or a really bad grandfather... It won't affect you. No, you can actually have an evil influence on future generations as well. And you can see this in the pages of Scripture. 
This is true in examples like we've got here in Ezra chapter 8, where we see the godliness of people in the past having a great influence for good in the future. And we see it in church history as well. One of the classic examples of a great man of God having influence on future generations has been documented. Um, The Puritan Jonathan Edwards, an American pastor, he and his wife Sarah had 11 children, and at the turn of the 20th century, this is, so he lived in the 1700s, at the turn of the 20th century, an American educator and pastor, A.E. Winship, decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. So he went and looked at who is related to Jonathan Edwards. Who can trace their ancestry back to him? And he found that from Jonathan Edwards, there was one U.S. vice president three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries from that one man and his, well, 11 children, that's quite a batch, um, descended from those, from those children who had been trained in a godly home and then had children who met him they were able to then have that influence and then influence the future generations. And we see that played out there, the influence of Jonathan Edwards on the future. So if you are a family head, are you working toward being a godly influence for the next generations, making sure you have an influence for good on those who are coming after you? How do you do that if you want to do that? How do you know if you're doing that well? Well... It's by washing the people that are responsible and that you're responsible for in the word. We see that with husbands are supposed to wash their wives in the words. It says in Ephesians chapter five, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing the washing with water through the word, washing them in the word. And then fathers are instructed to train their children in the word. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 as well. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you want to have an influence on the next generation for good, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be teaching your wife or your children, and your children, I should say. You don't choose to just teach your wife or the children. Teach both the word. When? Individually, you can teach them. Corporately, at home, in families, read the Bible with them. Make sure they get along to church, that there's nothing stopping them, no obstacles in getting along to church and hearing the word preached and read there and taught. You should be washing them in the word in as many ways as you possibly can. And what should you be your goal as a family head? It should be the same goal that we see that was the blessing to Adonikam. What did Adonikam get from his influence? No one was left behind in the land of exile. And that should be our goal if you're a family head. That no one is left behind in the world, but all go to the promised land. Everybody that you're responsible for. Everybody that you will have an influence on in the future generations. You hope and pray that they will make it to that promised land. But what about if you're not a family head? How can you encourage this to happen? Well, you can encourage it by being 
an encouragement to the family head that you're responsible to. If you're a wife, you can say, Honey, wash me in the word. We haven't read the word together lately. What's going on? I want to be influenced by you. I want you to be training me in the word. And if you've got children, if you're a child, you can be saying that. Dad, I want to read the Bible with you. I want you to be a good family head to me. Read the Bible with me. Tell me about Jesus. Ask your dad questions about Jesus. Make him be the responsible family head that he's supposed to be. And if you're in a situation where there is no family head that you can encourage, that is responsible for you, what can you do? Well, you can encourage those family heads that you do know around you and pray for them. Pray for the fathers, the grandfathers of this church and those people that you know around you, that they may be a godly influence. They need your prayers. Children can be a real trial at times. To actually sit down with them and have the Bible reading with them can be difficult. And we need your prayers that they will listen. Pray for the marriages in the church, that the husbands may be good influences on the wives. You have a responsibility as committed people to a church together that you will love and care for the people of this church. And one of the ways you can do for that and do that, fulfill that responsibility that you have, is by praying for the heads of the families of Des Moines Baptist Church and for other Christian family heads that you know as well. But is there something else we can learn from this passage about family heads? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Divine family heads are the greatest influence. See, the influence of human family heads, I think, is a little picture of the greatest influence of all. The influence of the greatest of family heads, the divine family heads of Christ and God. That passage that we read from 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that we have ultimate family heads. And who are those ultimate family heads? Well, in 1 Corinthians 11 it says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Who's ultimately the head? Christ. And then who's above him? God. God the Father. They are our family heads, our ultimate divine family heads, which means that you can be descended from the family head of Christ, and that means you're descended from just like we see here at the beginning of Ezra chapter two, uh, Ezra chapter eight, verse two, descendants from priests and descendants from a king. You can be descended from a priest and a king, the most faithful of all high priests, the most faithful of all kings, Jesus Christ Himself. You can be descended from that family head, and then, of course, if you're descended from Christ, you're descended from God the Father as well. He is the ultimate family head. How? Well, it's by repentance and faith. You can be part of God's family and have him as the greatest influence on your life. Because we need that divine family head more than we need human family heads as well. Human family heads will fail us at different times. But the divine family head, Christ and God, are the ones who will make sure you make that dangerous trek, and it is a dangerous trek being a Christian, to heaven. They will give you the impetus to go by regenerating you and granting you repentance and faith, and then they will sustain you through that hard, treacherous desert journey that you will need to make to get to heaven. 
They are the family heads that will influence you the greatest. And so you need to look to them. If you are going to make it to heaven, you have to look to those family heads of Jesus Christ and the Father. And you look to them by coming to them again and again and repent in repentance and faith. Repenting of your sins again and again and begging for their mercy, begging for their forgiveness of your sin and trusting that Jesus Christ died for you. Our family heads that we have here are used by God to influence us in great ways. But the greatest of all family heads have the greatest of influence. And so Ezra here, he gathers the leading men from Israel, the family heads. We should remember that we need to be gathered to the greatest of all family heads, Jesus Christ and God the Father. So have you got Jesus and God the Father as your family head? Have you repented of your sins and believed that Jesus Christ died for you? If you haven't, I encourage you to do it today. You need them as your family heads if you're ever to make it to the promised land, to heaven itself. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the family heads that you give us, the human ones. We thank you for the way that you have blessed many people in this room with godly ancestors, with godly men in the past who have made sure that we were taught the gospel. And so we have repented and believed as a result of your use of those human family heads. Lord, we pray for the family heads in this church. We pray that they may live up to the responsibility that they have to influence the future generations. May they be people who are always in your word and then share your word with the future generations. We pray for those people who are not a part of family heads. We pray that they may indeed pray to you and beg your mercy upon the family heads of this church. But Lord, we do also want to acknowledge you, our greatest of all family heads, the divine family head. Lord, we thank you for your great influence on so many people in this room. We thank you for the way that you have given us repentance and faith so that we could begin that journey to the promised land. For without your influence, we would never have conceived of giving up the idols in our hearts and following you to heaven itself. Lord, we pray that we may continue to gather ourselves to you, that we may come to you in repentance and faith again and again through our lives as we persevere towards heaven itself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.